Good morning, church. Welcome back to Online Church. So great to be with you this morning. Despite the fact that we are online, I'm going to ask you a favor. Can you, can you press into Jesus? Can you, can you ask God to speak something great to you this morning? Despite the fact that we're not in person, we are trusting for an impartation in your life that will help you here and now to master your Monday. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come upon us, Lord God. Father God, speak to our hearts. Separate us from the lies that keep us in bondage and help us to know you in greater measure, Lord God. Let your goodness be real to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I alluded to, we are continuing our series here and now, Mastering Your Monday, learning how to appropriate the truths of the kingdom into our everyday life. How does what you learn on a Sunday make a difference to your Monday? That's what we're talking about. We're also talking about that incredible day that Jesus had where he fed the 5,000, he walked on the water, Peter walked with him. Those, that day when he had heard the terrible news that his cousin had been murdered and he was grieving and, and wanted to spend time alone and yet the crowds followed him and pressed in and demanded so much from him. We are talking about the fact that Jesus had hectic, crazy days. And yet, even in those days, he pulled down the truths of heaven. He lived from a place of relationship with his father that allowed him to master those days in a way that we can too. Last week, we learned about how we can move from victimhood to victorhood. We can be victors instead of victims. We do that by having gratitude instead of grumbling and by having an internal perspective instead of a sense of entitlement. And today I'm going to continue the theme and talk about generosity, one of the great enormous truths of the kingdom. Do you remember your school lunch? Do you remember how it felt when you we're in the middle of that school day, you took out that school lunch box and there you opened it and you saw what your mom or your dad had put in there for you. And if it was a great lunch, how determinedly did you guard it from your friends? Because, you know, everyone was on the lookout for the perfect lunch. And if you saw your friend had something great, you know, you were, you were sidling up to them and maybe hoping to get a bite. But if you had that really great lunch, I mean, you were just like, you were keeping it for yourselves. You were like, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to get a part of this. Why did we love those lunches so much? Because they meant we were loved. They meant that our that our mama and our dad had thought about us. They cared about what happened during our day. There was a boy in the Bible who had a lunch. He had a little lunch box, five loaves and two fish. And today we're going to talk about his story, how he dealt with the lunch that his mom or his dad has given him that spoke to his heart, I am loved, that I'm taken care of. We're going to look at the story of this young boy in John 6 and we are going to look at one of the four renditions of the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's written in four Gospels. Only John talks about the young boy with his lunch from his mom and dad sitting there amongst this great crowd treasuring his five loaves and his two fish. Starting from verse 1. 
After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the, man's, the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Generosity. My title of my sermon is Generosity, the boy who did it. Did you notice that that little boy gave everything that he had? Despite the fact that this was his memory, that his mom and dad were caring for him. Despite the fact that when he looked around, no one else had food and he was the only one. And he could have thought, what if I give this away? Where will I get food from? How can such a little feed so many? What is my small portion in the giant need, in the face of such a giant need? But as he gave everything that he had, he got in return a transformed community. Plus, he got as much as he would ever need to eat, plus 12 baskets left over. You see, generosity is an act of war. It changes the world. The little boy gave his five loaves and two fishes, and in return, an entire community was transformed. Genera generosity, excuse me, drives back darkness. It alleviated the hunger of 5,000 plus people. Generosity throws you at the mercy of God. In that instant, when that young boy gave his five loaves and two fishes, in essence, what he was saying is, all, all my resources I put at the disposable, disposal of God, and, and if... And if I get nothing, there's a possibility that I get nothing. Only the mercy of God can save me now. Only the mercy of God can bring about blessing for me. You see, that little boy was, was throwing himself at the mercy of God. Perhaps as he was growing up, his parents had told him about how incredible Yahweh was and the, the goodness of God that, that you could never out God, give God. Perhaps they had told him about the scriptures in Proverbs that say when a person lends to the poor that, or gives to the poor, gives generously to the poor that he in fact lends to God. And they had explained to him that as you give generously, generously into the needs of your environment that God in turn blesses you. So in that instance, that little boy was throwing himself at the mercy of God. Stress 
in anxiety and tough times, try to make us self-preserve. Have you noticed that? When there's lack around you or there are difficult times or the, the world is crowding in, your work is impossible, your boss is demanding, your lecturer is being ridiculous, your girlfriend, your boyfriend is just not towing the line, when there are financial bills, when there are emotional pulls, when the world seems overwhelming, when anxiety is rising up, when there are difficulties all around, at that moment, at that exact moment, it becomes easy to want to grab everything to you. The temptation that little boy must have faced was, oh, I'm going to hang on to my five loaves and two fish. My gosh, my mom gave this to me. It's mine, mine, mine. Why should I give it to these other people? I have lunch. Why didn't they think to bring lunch? Stress, anxiety, difficulties, challenges make us hang on to what we do have. The message of the kingdom is so different from that. The message of the kingdom is that there is a good God who's taking care of you, that, that what you have in your environment is not all there is, and that you can trust Him completely. You can throw yourself on the mercy of God, and in so doing, it becomes an act of war against the pressures of darkness and the the insults and the difficulties of your moment it becomes an act of war to push back the tyranny of darkness and in so doing god steps in and brings about victories that only your wildest imagination could think of two questions we have to answer in order to live generously sometimes we don't associate it, associate answering these questions with a generous lifestyle but there are these two things. Who are you and what do you have? Everyone must answer these questions. Who am I and what do I actually have? The answers to these questions will enable you to live a generous life, free from the, the worry of lack, knowing that there is a good God taking care of you, or will cause you to live a life where you're trying to hold on to everything, where you're trying to scrimp and scrape. Remember, I, I made that statement two weeks back, hustle or hope. The, the answer to these two questions will cause you to be a person who's always hustling and, and trying to make a way for yourself, scrimping and scraping, trying to find the last little good thing in your environment, trying to, trying to wangle your way into your relations, trying to manipulate that girl and the guy to say yes, or, or trying to push, push your way into um, certain environments, trying to make yourself look better when you don't feel better. That's hustle. Or if you answer these, these two questions in a way that, that the Bible answers them, that God would answer them to you, then you will find hope arising in your heart. You will find yourself able to leave that life of hustle and stress and anxiety and be able to say, I can breathe again. I can live in the peace and the tranquility of a heavenly father who's taking care of me, who gives me lunch enough for me and of the 5,000 people around me who gives into my hands the capacity to not only meet my needs, to, but to meet all the needs around me. So let's, let's start the answer to these questions with a story, my, my story, or one of my stories. I have many stories, but one of my stories. Generations of women in my family 
have been bred and raised to serve patriarchy. I know how to sew my own clothes, bake bread from flour, water and yeast, not just heat up the ciabatta from Woolworths, you know what I'm talking about, actually make the bread with your own hands. Heck, I can even make my own yeast and grow my own grain if push comes to shove. If you are going to be marooned on a desert island, you're going to want me with you. I have skills upon skills upon skills when it comes to domestic things. Now, I have no problem with women learning these skills. Don't get me wrong. I love the fact that I can do all these things, except maybe that embroidery. I've never, ever, ever found a use for that embroidery. But there is a problem with patriarchy. That means in the system, women are undervalued and they are disempowered. But that's not what this sermon is about. So we're just going to push that to the side. This sermon is about mastering your Monday, mastering your everyday. Remember Andrew told you about his debilitating sickness. I think in the second service, he spent more time on it than in the first service. But for 20 years, he had a debilitating sickness. And some of the truths he taught you last week in his sermon were what allowed him to rise up above those circumstances in that difficult time. But there's another side to the story. Because when you are in a patriarchal system, when the man is the breadwinner and the voice of the wife is heard primarily through her husband, then when something happens to the husband, the wife is, threat, is under threat of losing her voice and the family is under threat of losing their income. This is the situation I found myself in. My husband, we're in the middle of a church plant, he falls sick. He is battling with his own issues, trying to, trying to assimilate the, the difficulty of this debilitating illness. At the same time, me, who's got all these great domestic skills, but not much else, and trying to assimilate this kind of, this kind of environment. I, I was le left with the, the gnawing sensation that, that we're going to be bankrupt in no time, that there's, there's no hope for us, that, that where will my voice be heard now? How can, I, how can I advocate for my children when my husband is not there? As you can see, those two great threats never happened. I most certainly didn't lose my voice and, I most, and we most certainly did not go bankrupt. But the, the process of walking out of that horrific situation and, and mastering the, the negative lies that pushed into my soul and my heart involved me coming to the realization of two things. First of all, I am not what my culture says I am. You are not what your culture says you are. You are who God says you are. The next truth I had to appropriate was that you never have nothing. The faithful, faithfulness of God, excuse me, is such that there is always something in your hand. There is always something there. There's always five loaves and two fishes. There's always something around that if we give it wholeheartedly in his service, he will multiply it to the space where there are 12 baskets left over, where we are in fact not only taking the needs, taking care of the needs of our immediate environment, but we're taking care of the needs of countless people outside our, our environment. You're not who your culture says you are. And there is never a moment that you have nothing. 
So who are you if you're not who your culture says you are? Who does God say you are? Well, God says two things. The one of them is going to shock you a little. The first one is, if you want a scripture for it, it's Romans 3 verse 10. But the truth is that we are more flawed than we thought. You know, hard times when they come, difficult days, crazy, stressful moments, um, days packed with demands and irritations. Those days, those days reveal the flaws in our soul more than anything else. You know what I'm talking about just the other day. You know what? When I heard we had to go online again, I have to tell you my heart sank. Speaking into a camera is hard, guys. It's really, really hard. Please, would you just... In the chat section, would you just type your sympathy for me? Would you just let me know that you're getting what I'm saying? Because would you laugh at my jokes? Would you say nice things? Because gosh, this is hard talking into a camera. And when I heard we had to go back online, I mean, I want to be honest with you. I was grumpy with a capital G. In fact, all caps lock, grumpy. Ask my husband. I mean, I, I was behaving badly. Why? Because stress and anxiety and the, the stresses of our time just reveal the flaws in our own nature. We are more flawed than we think we are. Romans 3.10 that I alluded to earlier says, says that there's no one righteous. No, not one. But the beauty of this truth is that if you are more flawed than you thought, guess what? God's not depending on you. God knows who you are. He knows that you're but dust. He's not, he doesn't have this giant illusion of your greatness. He knows who you are and he loves you anyway. He knows who you are and he's well able to make up for your weaknesses. You see, the other great truth that we need to keep in mind is that we are more loved than we imagined. You say, you see, you are less, less perfect than you thought you were, but more loved than you could ever ever imagine. Romans 8 38 verse and 39 says that that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Nothing created, nothing imagined, nothing can separate us from God. God's love. He will love us no matter what. The beauty of these two statements is it's it's kind of together they make up grace. What does that mean? Is that God has you in the palm of his hand that he knows your weaknesses. He's making up for your grumpy days. He's, he's understanding of those fits of temper that you have. He's understanding of those days where you just feel like you can't put one foot in, in front of the other. And he's not calling you to be more perfect. He's calling you to be more surrendered to his love. And in surrendering to his love, greater levels of perfection come, not from your greater effort, but from his greater grace. His greater grace. That's why generosity is so important because it throws us at his mercy. It acknowledges that it was not our doing, our greatness anyway, that we can give all that we have because we didn't get what we have by our own genius anyway. Everything we have is his mercy and grace. Psalm 73 from verse 21 says this, when my soul was embittered, this is how I felt the other day, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast toward you. Oh my gosh, I was like a beast toward my husband. I'm, I'm now in this moment repenting to Andrew for how, how badly I behaved a couple of days back. I was, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Sorry, darling, please forgive me. Nevertheless, it goes on. I love this part. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, God. 
you hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but my God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. No matter how brutish, how weak, how much failure there's been in our past, how much we have tried and not succeeded. The truth is God is always with us and he's always willing as we turn to him to pick us up and make things new and great and good and beautiful. You are who God says you are. And the great statement that rolls over your life is that you are loved, you are accepted, you, are be you belong. That God's goodness and grace surrounds you. That you are one clothed in His ability, not your ability. That your, your dependence and your success is bound to His faithfulness, not bound to your greatness. It is bound to His faithfulness. So let's look at that second statement, you never have nothing. You know, I wonder if one of the disciples had stood up before that great crowd with that little boy hanging onto his lunch, if they had stood up and said, who has enough to feed this crowd? Do you think the boy would have volunteered his lunch? No, he, because clearly he didn't have enough. But, but you see, the disciples were able to help him help him identify the fact that he did have something, that he didn't have nothing. You know, when I was going through that tough time, one of the, the resounding things that God said to me day after day after day is, what is in your hand? What do you have? Take your eyes off what you don't have. Take the, your eyes off the fact that you don't have a three course meal for 5,000 people brewing in the background. Take your eyes off that and put your eyes on what you do have, that you have five loaves and two fish. Take your eyes off the fact that you don't have the solutions for the economy. Put your eyes on the fact that you have a job or you have a job interview or you have a university degree or you have the potential, um, you have great relationships or you know someone or you know, you know how to do embroidery. I don't know. You, you find the thing that somewhere in your hand is something that you know how to do. You know how to do books. You know how to bake a cake. You know how to fix bicycles. You know how to do something. That somewhere God has put within your arsenal something that means something. Something that when offered to Him will cause His grace to be able to come and bring about a great victory. You know, when I was in that moment, the thing that I had to say was the only thing I can think I have at, at that moment is that I have passion and I have faith. So I said to God, I'm going to give you my passion for Jesus. I'm going to give you my faith in him. And, and where Andrew is no longer able to preach, I'm just going to stand up and do my best. And you know what? I stood up and did very me mediocre sermons. I stood up and did very mediocre leadership of the church but because I was giving God what I had God came in and blew with the wind of his spirit and made it something something more than it could ever be in my own hands and very soon God turned things around the church began to grow um, my children began to prosper God God taught me new things I discovered that I had I had gifts in time management and in organization that 
I had never experienced before. I hadn't known were there until the tough and difficult times brought them out of me. I promise this to you, that when you give what you do have to God, you will be astounded at what God starts to bring out of your soul, starts to bring out of your heart, what you start to discover you actually have. There is more hidden in you than you know possible. And God will bring it to pass as you surrender what you think you do have to him. There is never a moment when you have nothing. There is always something. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11 says this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. In other words, in your hand right now, in your bank balance right now, in your cupboard right now, in your kitchen right now, in your relationships right now, in your studies right now, in the book you're reading right now, there is seed and there is bread. God is supplying those things in your environment continuously. What does that mean? There are some things that are meant to nourish you and be personal sustenance to you. And then there are some things that God is putting there that are not for you. They're for sowing. They're for giving. They're for being generous with. And God asks for 100% of that. Everything that he's given you to sow, he means you to put on the table in service of his kingdom. And as you do that, his power comes in and multiplies it and makes it something more than it could ever be. He multiplies your seed for sowing. And in so doing, also multiplies back to your bread for eating. I'm just wondering, that little boy, five loaves, two fish. That's what he came with. I'm not sure where those 12 baskets went, but I like to think this. What if Jesus and the disciples gave that to the little boy and says, said, you head home with that. You brought your loaves and fish. Here's the leftovers. Take it home. Imagine he walks in. Imagine he walks back home into the kitchen. There's his mom and dad and he plunks down 12 baskets of fish and bread. Mom, that's what happened to the loaves you baked. Dad, that's what happened to the fish you caught. Look what Jesus did with your sacrifice, with my obedience. God just never, never just gives you lunch. This is what I want you, the final statement of what I want you to know. God never just gives you lunch. He gives you a picnic for thousands Generosity allows God to show you what you really have. My friends, what is in your hand? What do you have? Bring it to the service of God's kingdom. Put it out there and see what God will make of it. See what God will make of it. See what God will make of your speaking gift, of your presentation gift. See what, what God will make with your capacity to network people. See what God will do with your capacity to Talk and initiate conversations with strangers. See what the Lord will do with your capacity to love people, with your capacity to create, to draw, to love, to bake, even embroider. Love you guys. May the Lord be with you. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. Lord God, I'm asking that you would speak to them and you would help them to notice what is in their hands. Lord God, I'm praying and asking that father 
what they do have will be brought into the service of your kingdom. And I'm asking this, that they wouldn't just bring some of it. I'm asking they would, they would bring all of it, that all of it would be brought to the purposes of God and would be brought to be able to serve what you are doing in the nations today. And Lord God, that you would multiply it. Lord God, even when I speak of nations today, there are people here thinking, well, I'm not, I don't, I don't think that big. Lord God, help them, help them to just be faithful with what you've given them, Lord God, and help them, help them to see the the effect of their generosity, their willingness to bring all of their time, all of their talents, all of their treasures to the table for use and to see it transform the world. Lord God, I'm asking, I'm asking they, they would see that you haven't just given them lunch. You've given them a picnic for thousands. You haven't just given them lunch. You've given them a picnic for thousands. God bless you. Mm-hmm.